in the uh, summer of 2008, my wife and I were in seminary over in St. Louis, and uh, we took a trip. Uh, it was kind of like a baby moon after. Thanks, Johnny. Man, I didn't even say what the trip was yet. It's already excited. It was a good trip. Uh, it was kind of a baby moon after the fact. We had our first baby, and then we went for eight days to uh, London, Edinburgh, and Paris. And did those three in eight days. It was too much to do, but we tried it anyway. Uh, we had a great time, and one of the things we were looking forward to the most was going to perhaps the world's most famous art museum, uh, the Louvre in Paris. And so we were really excited to do that. Had our book out. We looked up all the things we were going to see. Kind of planned out our day a little bit. But we got there, and we, we got there in the afternoon. We thought we would have like four-ish hours to go through, which wouldn't be nearly enough, but... But we, you know, we said, well, we're going to do it. It's the only day we have in our trip to do this. Uh, we got there. We found out it was actually some sort of French holiday. And that it was going to be closing in 45 minutes. <laughs> so we had 45 minutes to go through the, one of the biggest and best art museums in the world. What the heck are we going to do? Uh, so, well, we did what we had to do. We chunked down our $35 each. And we literally ran. I'm not kidding you around this museum to see like the top four or five things in that first 45 minutes. And so, uh, of course, near the top of the list was the Mona Lisa. You have to see the Mona Lisa by Da Vinci if you go to the Louvre, right? And, and so we're running over there to get to it, and, and we get to it, and all of a sudden we're like, huh? Wait, that's the Mona Lisa? That thing? I mean, I'm probably wrong, but it kind of looked like it was like an 8 by 10 picture just hanging on the wall. Um, Andrew Camp was reminding me that when you go and actually look at it, if you turn around, there's a picture that kind of takes up like the whole wall behind you. And so you're wondering, like, why am I not looking at this? Why are we looking at this? And uh, so you can see, I mean, it's really small. And, and so it's underwhelming, really. And uh, so I guess you could say it's good that we saw the Mona Lisa in person, but it wasn't what we were, were expecting and to be honest, it was a bit of a disappointment. Um, so I think for most of us, I think that's kind of how we think about our life. We have high expectations. You're young. You're idealistic. Uh, you know, we live in a consumerist society that caters to all our needs, right? We expect that life will go well for us. Why wouldn't we? Plus, on top of that, for many of us, we believe in God. And... and doesn't having God in your life make things go better? At least we think that. But what if life doesn't go how we expect? What if it doesn't meet your expectations? What if you don't get accepted into that program you apply for? What if you have trouble finding a job? Or what if your first job or two aren't what you expect and are really terrible jobs? What if you have to wait a lot longer than you want to get married. And you know, all of us, at some point in the future, will, will experience much more hard, devastating things than that. But for some of you, this isn't just talking about the future. You've experienced this disappointment in your own life. You've experienced significant expectation-breaking events in your life, right? Some of you are dealing with physical or sexual abuse in your past. Um, some of you, significant family brokenness, divorce, death, sickness. Well, some of you might be thinking, well, gosh, this sounds awfully negative, awfully pessimistic. And it's true that life has gone really well for some of you. Maybe you haven't 
Maybe your life hasn't hit the fan yet. Um, but I promise you it will. Just have a few more birthdays, and it will. <laughs> it's coming. I promise you. Ask any adult. Um, so if that's you, you won't feel the need for this talk necessarily, but just kind of stow it away for later because I promise you you'll need it at some point, what God is going to teach you here tonight. So here's the question, though. When, when not if, but when life doesn't go as you expect, will that mean that God is unfaithful to you? When life doesn't go as you expect, does that mean Christianity isn't true or that God has abandoned you? When life isn't what you expect, what will you need to know about God and His plans for your life to help you be prepared and to help you persevere? Okay, that's what we're talking about tonight. What will you need to know to persevere in your faith? So last week we started a new series we're calling the Old Testament in Nine People. Tonight we're looking at uh, a lady named Sarah. She was the wife of Abraham. You've probably heard more about Abraham, maybe a little less about Sarah. But before we get into it, um, let me just say this. As I just kind of worked through this story uh, of Sarah and thought through it, to be honest, it, it's certainly encouraging. But I'll be honest with you, before it's encouraging, it's disturbing. Okay? So we'll get to some encouragement, but you're going to be disturbed as well. Because see, when you look at Sarah's life, what you're going to learn is a lot about what you can expect in life. You're going to see that when you're following Christ, your story will not be about God fulfilling your expectations for your life, but instead, your story will be about God fulfilling His own greater purposes in your life. It's going to be disturbing. But it's going to be encouraging, because we're also going to see that when life isn't what you expected, not only can you know that God is still with you, and that God is still faithful, but that His greater purposes for your life are better than what you wanted. So let me just give some quick historical context, set this up for a second. So uh, Ryan talked about Cain last week. And, and so several generations after Cain, you have Noah. And then several generations after that, you have the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah. Okay, So this comes about 2,400, 2,000 years B.C. Just a heads up, by the way. I'm going to keep referring to her as Sarah. But in the story, earlier parts of the story, uh, her name is Sarai with an I on the end. And then God changes her name later to Sarah. I won't really go into why, but H on the end later. I'm just going to call her Sarah, but you'll see in a few of the passages we read uh, the name Sarai. Uh, let me show you on the map. So on this map over here, you can see, I'm kind of standing in front of it, but over here on the right, uh, there's a city called Ur. That's where Abraham's family was originally from. At some point, his dad moved his family up north to the northern point there. Uh, so Ur is kind of modern-day Iraq. Uh, then they moved up to uh, Haran, which is kind of right Syria-Turkey border uh, into, on today's map. And then uh, that's kind of where our story picks up. So let's see what Sarah's story teaches us about our own. Let's pray for just a moment before we do that. Father, would you please teach us? Would you please um, prepare us to persevere in our faith? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Genesis 12, 1 through 5. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. That's the northern point on that map we looked at. 
And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Okay, so here's the first thing we're going to see about our lives from Sarah's life. The first thing is that your story is not going to be about making your life easy. All right, your story is not going to be about God making your life easy. We can see this from the very beginning of Sarah's story. See, God called Abram and Sarah to leave their home, to follow him where? He didn't say. He just said, follow me. He didn't give them the destination. And so here, I mean, can you imagine? Here's Sarah, 65 years old, about to get her social security check, and Abram, her 75-year-old you know, husband, and God tells him to move to a new place. I mean, the only time you do that in America is when you're moving to Florida, right? Uh, and when you're that old. But that's tough, right? So, but then almost immediately after that, after arriving in Canaan, we read this. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So here they are, following God's will for their life, barely gotten to the land he's leading them to, and where do they find? A famine. A severe lack of food that threatens to kill their whole family. All right? Here we go. So now they have to go down to Egypt. We pick up the story there. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai's wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, Abram said, but they will let you live. Uh, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So I'm going to, for time's sake, I'm going to just summarize some of this. But let me just tell you that, so God intervenes in a miraculous way to get her out of Pharaoh's house, all right? But can you imagine what a terrible situation for, for Abram, her husband, to put her into, right? So let's, let's recap for a second. So first she leaves the comforts and friendships of home, follow God to a place she doesn't know. Then she gets there and experiences a famine. Then she heads for Egypt. Then her husband, the one who's called to love and protect her, puts her life at great risk into a very threatening, dangerous, scary situation out of his own selfish fear. Okay? That's what's happened to to Sarah so far. And she gets taken into Pharaoh's house as as his wife. And we don't know exactly, you know, what happened there um, uh, physically, but we know it was an incredibly scary situation. So obviously, Sarah's story was not about making her life easy. And what God is trying to teach us is that ours won't be either. Here's the disturbing part. See, following Christ doesn't mean that we will be immune to hardships. Actually, it's the exact opposite. We can't expect to be Christians without a cross. God gives us this story in the Bible and many, many others like it to, in advance, okay, to prepare us. He wants to prepare us for the fact that he will bring us through many hardships, But here's how it's encouraging. So it's disturbing, but here's how it's encouraging. Because see, in the middle of hardship, when you're going through a hardship, and you may be going through one even right now, what you're really tempted to think is that, wait a second, what's wrong? Something's wrong, right? It doesn't feel right. What's wrong with me, we ask? Am I really a Christian? What did I do wrong? 
Has God abandoned me? So we very quickly think that these hardships maybe are our fault. Maybe they're a sign that God isn't with us. Maybe he's abandoned us, not faithful to us. So that's why it's so important to hear what God is saying to us tonight. When we get in those hardships, we need to realize that that is the normal Christian life. That's not the abnormal, it's the normal Christian life. And that following God includes many hardships. And when we realize that, we won't be surprised. We won't be caught off guard or worried that something is wrong. 1 Peter uh, 4.12 is a really helpful verse. It says it this way. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Do you hear what he's saying? Don't be surprised. It's not strange. This is normal. This is the normal Christian life. See, the real danger to our faith is not going through trials and hardships. It's going through them unprepared. It's going through them not knowing that God is placing these in our life for a purpose. That God is giving them to us and he'll be with us. Maybe it's a good time to just go ahead and ask, why does God allow these hard things? This is where Sarah's story is a lot like our own because in a sense... She didn't know exactly why. It wasn't like God told her exactly, this is why I'm doing this in your life. And we don't know either, right? But we do know some of the picture. And that that part that we do know really helps. Um, If you were at the crossing this past Sunday, uh, Pastor Keith uh, gave a sermon on how to know God's will for your life. Which, by the way, if you weren't there because of the snow, I'd highly suggest you podcast it. It's one of those questions we all ask. It was a great sermon. But he talked about um, some of those greater purposes that God has in your life. Romans eight twenty eight and 29 says, that, says it this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All right, so one of the Bible's greatest hits. Uh, you heard it a lot. But what does it mean when it says good? What's it talking about? What good? Well, here's the answer. For those God, or for those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so what's the good God's doing in your life? What are all these things, even the hard things, coming together to do in your life? To make you like Christ. James 1, 2, and 3 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is what produces perseverance in your life. So we may not know all the reasons why, but what we can know is this, is that none of our pain will be wasted. Because here's why. You and I cannot grow in our faith without hardships. You cannot grow in your faith without hardships. Um, I didn't even realize this until the other day. I was reading this article. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Uh, it, there's an illustration from the world of agriculture, and since we're in the ag building, huh? very apropos. Um, so anyway... Agricultural science says this, didn't know this, but apparently, like, certain kinds of fruit trees, they call them the, like, the hardy fruit trees, like apples, pears, plums, those fruit trees, need a certain amount of cold weather to produce growth and fruit in the spring. I didn't know that. I think that's pretty interesting. So in other words, without enough cold, wintry weather, they don't produce fruit. 
All right? There's a great illustration for us there. The same is true for us. Spiritually, unless God puts us through wintry, cold hardships, we won't see spiritual growth in our life. We won't become more like Christ. Um, maybe maybe a, um, a little bit more personal illustration, though, is helpful here. Um, when, my, uh, when our daughter had just turned one, uh, she, she, we went into a doctor. She had to have a doctor's appointment. And she had to get her blood drawn, but now, they used to do it like a way when she was really young where she couldn't really feel it, a little small little stick, but now they had to do it like the big girl way where you just stick the big needle in her arm, okay? And so I'm carrying her in there, and, and they're getting the needle ready and all that, and she is one years old, okay? So they, it's really important, though, that she has to be really still because it's a big needle, and she can't be moving around and stuff. So, so I sit down, and I, I just kind of like put her in my lap, but I kind of have to like hold her you know, with my legs, and then hold her with my arms so she won't move, okay? And then they stick that big needle right in her arm. And you can guess, I mean, she wailed. She cried and cried and wouldn't stop. And I'm sitting there, you know, I'm her dad, and I'm saying, hey, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's almost over, I'm here with you, it's going to be okay. But it didn't help very much, right? It doesn't help very much. Um, let's see, it... it it's going to be hard for her if she doesn't know that it's her dad that I'm going to put her through some hard things like that, some painful things sometimes for a greater purpose, okay? If she doesn't know that, she'll misunderstand me, she'll be caught off guard, she'll be disappointed. See, we need to know the same thing about our Heavenly Father. So when your life isn't what you expect, when, it's not, when God's not making it about ease, which you and I both want, let's be honest, we have to remember it's, it's God is being faithful to a greater purpose, to make you like Christ. So we need to remember that. We need to be prepared, okay? We need to remember that God hasn't abandoned us. He's not being unfaithful. We can cling to Him and trust Him that He is doing something great in our lives. We can trust that even though, because He's the one giving us the hardship, He's also going to give us the grace and the strength to persevere through it. Okay, so that was the first thing we saw. First, we saw that your story is not going to be about God making your life easy. The second thing we see is your story is not going to be about fitting your plan. So we all have ideas about what our life will look like, right? You have ideas about your life. Um, Certain things are going to happen at a certain time. You know, we, uh, you probably want to graduate. Yes. (laughs) Um... You want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm assuming, uh, a marryable one, preferably. Um, you want to get a good job out of college, maybe work for a year or two, have a little bit of financial stability, then marry the person, maybe have two or three years or whatever time frame of no kids. Then you want to have children, your 2.5 children, right? And then, I don't know what a 0.5 kid looks like, that's scary. But anyway, but... Then you want to space them apart. I don't know, two years, whatever, apart. You have a plan for your life, right? Nothing wrong with plans. That's a good thing. But in Sarah's story, what we learn about our lives is that our lives are not going to be according to our plan or our timing. That's the thing. So here's Sarah, right? Like every other woman in her day and even today, being a mom was a really, really big deal, okay? It's all her heart desired was to be a mom, to have a son for a husband, not only to carry on the family name, 
but they would need someone to take care of them when they were older. But here's the deal. She has no children. She's 70 or 85 years of age. She's too old, right? A devastating disappointment. But here's the thing is that God had made this promise to her in Genesis 15. We won't read it, but he promised that Abram and Sarah would have a son together. And that's how this promise of God blessing them so that they could be a blessing to all nations would happen, okay? So he had this promise. But here's the thing is that they've now, she's been waiting since that time about 10 or 20 years and no baby has come yet. So God gave her a promise. 10 or 20 years later, no baby. My wife and I experienced something similar in our lives. Um, you know, early on in our marriage, we were confronted with the fact that our life is not going to be about our plan. Um, some of you know this story. I'll make it short. But right after we got married, we planned on being missionaries to Japan. And so we, uh, we moved to Japan. Um, and we were going to be on a team with uh, another couple who were really close, one of my closest friends in college. And so we moved there. We were in language school learning the language. We are in our second year there, and my, my closest friend calls me up uh, and says they are not going to be able to return to Japan. So here we are. We've moved to Japan, <laughs> and my best friend who I wanted to work with was not going to be coming over there. It wasn't... It wasn't working out according to our plan. But we also had plans in the family area. So our plan had always been we'd be married about three years, and we'd start having children. So uh, that second year, that same year, we heard from our friend. We got pregnant right away. Um, we're excited about that. Uh, went in at six weeks to, to see the baby's heartbeat, but no heartbeat. Um, had a first miscarriage. So... But we got pregnant pretty quickly again. This time things seemed different. Um, the feelings were a little different for my wife. And, and we're going along. We actually saw the baby's heartbeat about seven weeks. Um, and then uh, went in for our 14-week appointment and found out we had lost that baby too. Over a period of about two years, we ended up losing our first four um, to miscarriage. And um, it was a really, really, uh, really devastating time. Really, really hard. Uh, I, yeah, it's hard to describe how painful that was. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, we were able to have our, our first healthy baby about two years after. So it was a two-year period of really, really hard struggle. Um, we really were disappointed by God. Um, our plan was definitely not going according to our plan. Our life was not. So, what do you do? What did Sarah do when life didn't fit her plan? Uh, let's look at chapter 16, 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So how did Sarah 
handle it. She just, she got to a point where she didn't believe God was going to do it. She waited long enough, and now she was going to take matters into her own hands. So she gave her servant girl, basically, to her husband. And doing this caused a lot of brokenness, a lot of great pain in their family. So here's the thing, is how will we handle it when our story doesn't go according to your plan or your timing? How will you handle that? Well, for Sarah, it was very tempting to take matters in her own hands, right? And that's going to be the temptation for you and I as well. It's going to be to take matters in our own hands and to settle for something far less than what God wants to give us. And maybe your plan is to have that marriable boyfriend or girlfriend as soon as possible and get married a year or two after college. But what if God's plan is to give you five or ten years of singleness? You'll be very tempted at some point along the way, maybe many times along the way, to settle for just a nice guy or nice girl, regardless of whether they're a Christian or not at that point. Even though God's will is clearly for you as a Christian to marry another Christian, that's his best for your life. You're going to be tempted to settle for far less. Maybe you feel like, I mean, it's kind of funny to say it this way, but maybe you feel like you can't wait for sex, but marriage is a long way off, right? You're going to be tempted to settle for a cheap substitute. You're going to be tempted to settle for a hookup or for porn instead of what God wants for you. Maybe, maybe it's something more simple. Maybe it's just like you're new to Christianity, you're new to the community, and it's just taking longer to feel like you're a part of things and have the friendships you want and that sort of thing, right? Maybe that's hard. Maybe that's not according to your timing. You wish it were going faster. But here's the thing. Don't give up. Hang in there. It takes time. Um, just, here's the thing. Just because God's timing, His plan is different doesn't mean that he is being unfaithful. It just means in some way his timing has to be different in order to give you his best. And one thing that's interesting as you read the story of Sarah is several times in the story God comes in and reminds her of his promises and reminds Abram of his promises that they will have a child, that he will be faithful to bless their family. Several times he comes in and that's, that's instructive for us. Because when we get in those times where hardships are coming or things aren't happening according to our plans, we need to go over and over again back to God's promises. How about you? In the areas that you're tempted to settle, do you have promises to look to? Do you have promises that you're praying through, clinging to, to persevere in your faith? That's huge. Okay, so we've seen that your story is not going to be about making your life easy, not going to be about uh, according to or fitting your plans. Third, your story is not going to be about making you look good. It's not going to be about making you look good. And what I mean by this is we tend to think that we're pretty strong. Or at least a lot of us do. We think that, you know, if I resolve to follow God with sincerity, that will mean that things will go pretty well for me. We, we, we feel pretty sure of ourselves. And we have a hard time imagining that we would go through really hard struggles spiritually. We have a tough time imagining really failing spiritually Um, but what we don't see is that God's plan includes a deep humbling of us that will only come through failure seeing your own foolishness at times in your life 
God's plan will not be about making us look good and look strong, but it will show that God is faithful to his greater purposes despite our failures, despite our unbelief. So, so we've already seen, right, how Sarah failed to wait, failed to trust God, took matters in her own hands, gives Hagar to Abram. But as the story unfolds, Sarai, or Sarah doesn't look any better. So look at 16, verse 5. It says, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. <laughs> she blames him. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. She's blaming Abram. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, with Hagar, and she fled from her. So, so after Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah basically got really angry, blamed Abraham, gets really jealous at Hagar and her child, and dealt with them so harshly that literally just drove her out into the wilderness, out into the desert with her child, and did that actually twice. In, in her story of her life that the Bible records. Um, so, although the Bible holds up Sarah as an example to us, it's just what, what's interesting. In the New Testament, the Bible holds up Sarah as this example to us of someone who trusted God. It also presents her as this very real person who failed not a little, but a lot. Her life was messy. And so... Her story doesn't reveal her as something, someone who's put all together, put together, who's perfect, has her life together, but someone, her story isn't making her look good. That's the thing. So look at this. Let's see how she reacts when God comes to her and reassures her of his promise. 18.10 says this, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this same time next year. So he comes and reminds her and he says, okay. This time next year, so not a long time, but next year, you will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself and thought, or saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But God said, no, you did laugh. Okay? It's kind of a funny exchange. <laughs> it is funny. Um, so how does, how does Sarah respond? So God comes to her graciously, trying to remind her, right, of his promises. So she laughs. And then she lies to God about laughing. No, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. Um, here's, the, here's the deal, right? What do we see in Sarah's life? Moments of unbelief, moments of dishonesty, harsh treatment of others, blatant disobedience to God's commands. So these things are part of Sarah's story. And here's the thing. God wants you to know these things are going to be a part of your story too. He doesn't want you to be thrown off by that. He doesn't want you to be, um, to not know that. And so that's the disturbing part, right? But it's really encouraging if you think about it this way, especially the longer you live the Christian life. Because when you fail, when you struggle with unbelief, when you fall into that persistent sin again, you'll wonder, will God still be faithful to me? 
Can I still trust God? And the answer of Sarah's story is yes. God will continue to be faithful to you despite your failures. God will continue to be faithful to you despite your doubts. Your story will not be about making you look good. Your story will be about making God look good, making God look strong. It won't be about your sufficiency. It'll be about God's sufficiency. So knowing that God will use your story, see, to reveal more and more the depth of your sin, that will help you be ready. That will help you persevere because that's going to be a part of your Christian life. You need to know that to persevere. So here's the deal. So when you struggle with your sin, when you see your sin, when you doubt, don't give up. Don't think the Christian life isn't working. Okay, Know that seeing your sinfulness is part of it. It's the normal Christian life. And that through that, God will grow in you a greater dependence on the gospel and a greater love for Jesus. But be aware that, that the devil will come and accuse you. Okay, he will, he will tell you that you're hopeless. He'll tell you you're worthless. He'll tell you you're condemned. Okay, Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Because God's word to us says, be encouraged. Like Sarah, you will struggle with failures and doubts, but God will always be faithful to his promises to you as you cling to him. Okay? Well, how did Sarah's story end? We're getting near the end here. How does Sarah's story end? Genesis 21.1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac had been born to him. Miracle child. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. The name Isaac means laughter. Very appropriate. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So here's the deal. So Sarah's story didn't meet her expectations. Right? Really different than the story she would have scripted for her own life. At times she was deeply disappointed. But God was faithful to his greater purposes in her life. His purpose was greater than her ease, greater than her plan, greater than her strength. See, he wanted to make her more like Christ. And that's what he did. He wanted to make her more dependent on God. And that's what he did. Here's the thing. is even more than that, God made her a blessing to many beyond her wildest imagination. So if you look at the promise he gave her, Genesis 12, again, look at the promise. He said in verse 2, I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. At the bottom, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What? How can, wait, how can God do that out of this one lady's story? But see, God was going to be faithful to her in ways she couldn't have even imagined. Because what we know from the rest of the story and the rest of the Bible is, of course, that Jesus came from her line. Okay? It was through the line of Abraham and Isaac that Jesus came. And so God, it didn't look like he was being faithful. It, it looked at times awful. 
It wasn't easy. It was hard. It wasn't according to her plan. All these things. But God was being incredibly faithful in a way that she couldn't have even imagined. To see the Redeemer would come through her. So see, that's, that's a little picture of what God's wanting to do in your life too. That's a picture of what your story is going to be about. It's not going to be about making your life easy. It's certainly not going to go according to your plan. Please hear that now. It's not even going to make you look good. You're not going to be the hero of your own story. Jesus is going to be the hero of your story. When you look back, he will get the glory. You'll look back at your life and you'll say, I would never have made it if Jesus hadn't carried me through this. Here's the thing. How do we respond to that? What's God asking us to do? Well, if your life isn't going to be about your plans, that means that God is calling you to hold your plans up to Him with an open hand. God's calling you to hold your expectations and your plan up to Him and say, God, my life is not about this. Yes, I have a plan, but this is not what my life is about. My life is about fulfilling your purposes in this world. My life is worth is about something far greater than this. So that's the question God is asking you. Will you surrender your life? Will you hold your plans and your expectations up to him with an open hand and say, God, fulfill your purposes in my life? I'll be honest. I mean, some of my story tonight told you, I mean, it's going to be extremely hard at times. There's going to be times you're going to feel like you won't make it. But God's promises will sustain you and carry you. And as you open your hands up to God and cling to him, he'll sustain your faith. He'll persevere you. So tonight, what I'd like for us to do is in a sense just make Jesus' prayer in Luke 22 when he was in the garden, make it our own. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. As the worship team comes back up, we're gonna sing. Uh, we're gonna sing a song of response. We're gonna sing Jesus, all for Jesus. So I just want us to um, to focus for a moment on this line. We're gonna sing in just a minute. All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. Will you pray with me for just a moment? And after I pray, I'm going to give you just a moment of silence to offer up your life to God. Father, we so want to cling to our own plans, our own ideas of our life and what it's going to be like. We so want our life to be a certain way We want it to be easy. We want it to be good according to our definition of good. Lord, but we're so short-sighted. We're so narrow-minded about what that means. God, we truly underestimate what you want to do in our life, the good that you want to do through our life. Just like Sarah, who couldn't possibly see the good that you were doing, that you were going to bring a redeemer through her story to bless the whole world. 
God, you, we can't possibly see all the good that you're doing. God, but you promise it's going to be good. And so we pray that we would cling to your promise. Pray that we would cling to you. And right now, even through this song, we pray that we would offer our lives, our plans, our stories up to you. We give you our lives. We ask you to shape them. We surrender them to you. In Jesus' name.